0: Hey, as pastor, I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that he's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time he promises to work through this word. If he has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, Use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold.
1: Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different.
0: Hey, good morning once again. Welcome to the House of God. Good to see everyone, especially if you're visiting. Uh, man, it is good to be in the House of God. And uh, One of the cultural phenomenons uh, sweeping across our nation is the show American Ninja Warrior. And to prove that, how many have seen American Ninja Warrior? Right? Most of us. And In fact, it, it's so popular that many gyms are creeping up where you can try to test your own skills and go to one of these Ninja Warrior gyms and see how good you fare. Uh, Because of this, there are many common obstacles that maybe you're familiar with. Uh, One of the most common obstacles uh, I wonder if I could do is the warped wall. I'm not sure I could, but I'd like to think that maybe I could get up. I don't know how tall that is. Another one that I know I could not do is this one. This is called the salmon ladder, where you have to have enough pull-up inertia to get to that next bar. Um, And then finally, if you make it a few stages, you have this one. Uh, It's like the, the spider jump where you, you try to stick it like a spider would, so get your inner Spider-Man out, you know, and see what you can do. Uh, the ultimate test, though, if you watch the show, is this thing. Uh, this is Mount Midoriyama, uh, which only a handful of people have accomplished. Now, what is the purpose of American Ninja Warrior? Well, I think it's to test and to reveal how much of a ninja you really are, right? And I'm not sure it does a good job testing ninja ability as much as grip strength right? Because you need, like, it's all upper body. It's all shoulders. I don't even know if you need your legs to do this, but anyway, um, it's all, like, hanging. And it reminds me how sometimes we sign up for tests. Sometimes we don't sign up for them, but there are a lot of tests in life. Am I right? There are a lot of tests that go in life. In fact, one of the most memorable tests for me happened my junior year of high school. I walked into a high school in Oviedo, Florida, a school I'd never been to, surrounded by kids I never met, and I had to take what was called the ACTs. Who remembers taking them? Those were brutal, let's be honest, right? I remember, and I, I, I woefully did not plan how much time I had. And so if there were 30 questions, there were 10 questions that I did not fill in, see is the right answer there. And, and I was wondering uh, what my results would be. Because it was going to reveal if I could go to the college of my choice, and if I got over 24 on the math portion, I would never have to take math again. So I was interested in those results. And as I got the results, I found I got over 18 to go to Martin Luther College, and I never had to take math again. So don't ask me your calculus. Don't ask me your trigonometry questions. I am done, friends. great. Maybe there are other tests you remember. Uh, Your driver's ed, right? You know, you you remember what you were wearing. You might even remember the picture that was taken, you know, because you successfully passed. It reminds me, like, now they make cars at Parallel Park for you. Can you do that on a test? Like, look at this. Would that work? I'm just curious about that. Or we have kids that grow up with, like, Ames webs and and things like that. and, and, And here's where I'm going. I believe that tests have a purpose. And in general, this is what I believe tests reveal where you're at. Right? V- very simple. Tests reveal kind of where you're at, whether it be uh, Ninja Warrior, whether it be driving in the streets of Chicago, whether it be the, the, the acumen that you have. Now, because of this, people are scared of tests. I was talking to a buddy who was having a doctor come to his house. He was a little bit scared about a home health checkup because wondering what it might reveal. Do I have high blood pressure or cholesterol? And what the consequences would be for insurance purposes and serious adult things like that. Not Not fun tests, right? Well, Enough about those tests. We're in the house of God. And by the way, I want to welcome you if you're in the house of God. In fact, maybe you're visiting and you're here testing the church. You're here testing, is there any validity in this community? Why should I gather? And here's what I would like you to know about this community. Uh, We're not perfect people. And you're not going to have a perfect experience. But I would tell you, we hold out the perfect one who is worth every effort to get to know. We hold out Jesus, the Messiah, so welcome. But as we talk about God today, here's what you need to know about God. Here it is. God's a test giver. He is. He allows various tests that happen in our lives. He is a test giver. And for some of us, this strikes us strange because if you're new to following Christ, you're like, I thought it was only going to get easier. I thought following God meant things were going to pan out a little bit better, uh, that I'd be a little bit more comfortable, you know, that if I just believe enough, things will go my way, I'll be the CEO, all those kind of things. But, but that's not the case, friends. God allows tests. In fact, Jesus even warned us, in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials sometimes directly for following me. Be prepared. And so here's what I know about you, because God is a test giver. If you've been following Jesus, I have found you in the middle of a test. And for some of you, it's harder than your ACTs. Your test could be a child, and you see this child on a track, and you're worried about the track, but you can't control the track, so you're praying as hard as you can, but you don't know what to do. For some of you, it's a financial matter. It seems like you can never get ahead of the bills and you're always behind and and you're wondering, how how long can I stay in this job before I move on to the next job? Some of you looking for a job, uh, you're in a test. For some of you, it is about the way you feel, health circumstance. Or maybe depression or anxiety. you know, like, I would just love to feel a certain way, but I can't feel a certain way. And and what do I do in the meantime? I'm, I'm in a test. You know, it's hard not to miss that so many tests are going on across this world consider the last 3 months and what has been allowed to happen we have the wildflower the wildfires right now in california 3500 homes burning it, it looks crazy it looks like armageddon and and, and more happening and it still haven't been quelled and this comes after a Vegas shooting that, that took about 60 people's lives and hundreds who were affected by it. This came after, like, I, I forget all the names of the hurricanes, but, but here's just one picture. But I, I can't even remember them all. I mean, it's just crazy how many tests are being allowed to transpire. And, and let me give you a spiritual framework, if I can. This world is broken, I believe. And our God has warned us that it's broken. And so these tests and what he allows, it's not a reflection of his perfect character as it is much a representation of the consequences of sin. Do you get it? What's going on right now, it is not a reflection of his perfect character as much as a representation of the consequences of rebellion and sin. This world is broken, people. But it's true he's allowing testing. So what is he doing? Can I teach you a little bit before we get into the word? I want to give you two things that he's not doing through the test that some people sometimes think. Uh, it reminds me when people come to our starting point class and we talk about the Garden of Eden, and, and people are like, why did he make a tree if they were going to fall? Why did he do that? In fact, did he want them to fall? Well, one of the things I, I believe is this that your test may come, but it's not so that you can fall. He doesn't want you to fall. In fact, look what the brother of Jesus says. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It goes on to say that when we sin, it's, it's about what's inside of us that has been creeping and then has leapt out in this world. So, so he doesn't want us to fall. Uh, another thing he doesn't want us to do is to doubt. That That isn't his purpose for the test. To doubt that he's real, to doubt that he's good. I consider this interaction with a gal named Martha who had just lost her, her brother Lazarus. And Jesus said these words as she was reeling, as she was under this test. And, and Jesus spoke to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Why does he ask this question? Is it so he can hear? No, I, I don't. Never. Or is it perhaps for more positive, for a stronger faith? That's what I want to talk about you. So today we're going to talk about why does God give us tests. You ready? And we're going to dive into it, and uh, we're going to dive into the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter was written by—you had your coffee. Good job. Okay, you're still with me. Good, good, good. And uh, he's talking about how we're going to be a little bit different. That if you call yourself a Christ follower, you're going to look, you're going to act a little bit different than the rest of the world. But let me set up the story that Peter is writing into. Let me give you just a little bit of the background. Um, If you ever think that the political environment is bad today, it was worse then. Peter is most likely writing from Rome, and he is writing under the authority of a guy named Nero. Now, here's what you need to know about Nero. He's an awful dude. Nero killed his mother, killed one of his wives, maybe killed another one of his wives, and he's famous for persecuting Christians. In fact, what the historian Tacitus tells us is that Nero would dress up Christians in animal skins— He'd put them by dogs, as they look like animals, to be torn apart by the dogs. What Tacitus tells us is that Christians would be coated in tar and strapped to a tree. They'd be lit on fire and serve as candles for his dinner parties. This is not a good dude. And yet into this period of testing and into this trial, Peter is now writing these words that just have admonition and encouragement for us as well. So let's get into it. Are you ready? So into this dynamic, he writes these words. Let's go. Uh, You can follow along either on the screen or in your worship folder, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, that's cool. you have a Bible here, here it goes. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, for the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, the blood that cleanses us from all sin. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Now, living hope, that's a good name, isn't it? That's a good name. A living hope, a living home through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly really rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you have made had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He knows what they're in. But these have come, nero, opposition, persecution, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, May result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end of your result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love it when he talks about a glorious and inexpressible joy. I think if you've been following Jesus for a little bit, you know that, that, that that's possible, even when trials come. But Peter talks about a lot of words of encouragement that we get to talk about today. In fact, uh, can you help me out? Could you turn to your neighbor and just say, hello, stranger? Hello, stranger? Hello, stranger? Let's dive in. Let's dive in. I know there's some teachers in the building, and so um, I don't know how many of you have ever read the book, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Anyone? Anyone? Not many, and, and you're better off for it, actually. Uh, because you've never read the book, uh, let me uh, share with you what it was. It was the story of a first-generation immigrant uh, named Jurgis from Lithuania, who is in the Chicago area in the early 1900s, working in the meat packing industry. Now, it's a made-up story, but what it makes up is it, it describes the, the hard conditions that there were for first-generation immigrants, and especially those who are meat packing. Uh, here's, Here's a picture of the book, and also, this is a real picture of the stockyards in the early 1900s in Chicago. Now you can tell standing on those poles maybe isn't the safest thing. I wonder what OSHA would say about such things, right? And the story goes on to say that he lost his father because of these unsafe work conditions. That he lost his son because of food poisoning directly related to the not clean conditions of the meat. That, that he lost his home, even though it was a small flat in Chicago, because of the con men in Chicago. I don't know if he was a prophet at that time, if they were really con men then. Um, and and, and it's just a horrible story, which is why I don't recommend it. But the reason I bring it up, here, here's the reason. It's hard to be new, isn't it? Have you ever been there? That I can relate to. It is hard to be new. I don't know if you walked into a party and you didn't know anyone. It's hard to be new. I don't know if you moved somewhere. It's hard to be new. I don't know if you went to a new school. Hard to be new. right? It's hard to be a stranger. When everyone else has the comforts of where they grew up and you do not. I'm reminded of college. Maybe there's some people at college or you have experience at college. And it's hard because what, what usually happened with the dishes, they magically clean themselves and now that bowl of ramen, it is still dirty. And I just don't understand. It's hard to be new. What Peter is telling us is, don't you know, you're new. Your your name might not be Jurgis, and you might might not be a Lithuanian immigrant, but you need to know you're new, you're a stranger. Verse 1 says, and he hones in, to God's elect who are, can you say that word? Exiles. Which just means strangers. Which just means aliens, foreigners. This is not your motherland. And if that's the case, as he speaks not only to them, but also to us, because he's speaking to us. Is it possible that some of the trials we experience, some of the hostility we experience, is just because we are new here, we are strangers here, this is not our home? I love what C.S. Lewis said. This is a memorable quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, He was just saying basically that we're not built for this place. And, And here's the quote. It says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So then I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let, let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and help others to do the same. Have you ever felt that nothing can satisfy this longing, this desire? That you've had a three-day weekend go exactly as planned. You had a vacation that was wonderful. You even enjoy your earthly home, but there is something that you feel is still missing. You know, a hymn writer spoke to this. One of my favorite old school hymns is, I'm but a stranger here. Anyone know that one? Let me read some lyrics. I'm but a stranger here. It says, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Heaven is my home. Danger and sorrow stand. They round me on every hand. Heaven is my fatherland. Heaven is my home. Because we're not home, we're camping. You are forever camping. How how many people love to camp? Anyone? We're my campers. How many are glampers? So you don't have a tent. You have like this whole, like, like, yep. I respect that. I'm more Troop Beverly Hills and glamper than I am a camper. But anyway, um, you can't forget your camping, okay? And sometimes trials will come especially to remind you, kind of like a storm when you had a tent, just to remind you the impermanence of this place. That your tent was supposed to remind you, it, it's not forever. It was supposed to remind you that it could be taken away, that you may need to move on because you are yet to receive home. Paul, he, he said it this way, he said, we're in a tent and as long as we're in the tent, we're grown And we are burdened because this is not our home. Here's the first point that take away. Trials remind us that we are not home. What might God be doing when there's a hurricane threat and there's a wildfire threat and there's tornado sirens and there's thunderstorms and there's flooding? May he might not be reminding his people that was not your home. God loves you way too much to have you mistake this place for that place. He loves you way too much to make you so comfortable you don't long for your true home. And that's why I think sometimes our model doesn't go the way we want it, to remind us we're not home. It's why when I watch HGTV, and it doesn't matter what budget they have, they never get everything on the list, right, of their desires. Like, it never works out completely. And I think that there's a reason, because God will never convince us that we are home. He will never allow us to think we have everything here. This is not utopia, friends. That place is coming. So this is what I think he's doing in trials. He's telling us, once again, you have not arrived. Wait till that day. Press on. Press on. Press on. Don't love the tent. Use your tent. Don't love the tent. All right. Well, then, he talks about another reason for trials. And uh, this reminds me of a trip to Mexico I had. Um, We were uh, having a tour guide take us. And if you've ever been on a tour, sometimes they take you to tourist traps I don't know if you've ever been one of their, where it's like seven times the normal price of everything else. (laughs) And so um, they were having us to to go to this silver shop. And, And so the tour guide took out his silver necklace, and he showed us that this is the kind of silver we can get at this shop. And in order to prove that it was genuine, do you know what he did? He took a flame, and he put the flame on his silver necklace, and it didn't turn black, which was to prove that it was pure, to prove that it didn't have any impurities, that the fire would have burnt out. Now, why am I going there? Do you know God is fire? Do you know God uses fire? And so now I want to talk a little bit about what he does by sending trials of fire. And I think it's a conversation of faith. Now, let me teach you a little bit. Saving faith is faith in Jesus as Savior. If you believe today that Jesus is your Savior, you are ready for heaven. <laughs> you are ready if he comes back. I would love for you all to just believe by faith that He is the Redeemer, the Savior, that His cross was for you. That is saving faith. If you believe Jesus is Savior, you're good. But in the midst of saving faith, you can have either a weak faith or a strong faith. That is true. In fact, something you should know about this building, and something we never know, is how weak or strong someone is. And so I want to talk a little bit about different forms of weak faith. Okay? Okay? Different forms of weak faith that could be saving faith, but may not get through the fire. And and one of the weak faiths that exist is a shallow faith. A shallow faith. A faith that basically says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that's all the further I want to go. I don't want to get involved, pastor. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to join a church I don't want to grow any closer to God. Isn't that enough? I mean, it's saving faith. Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet this is a very, very shallow, weak, and even dangerous faith because fire is coming. Now, I have tested this, so I'm I'm trying to be very good with our new remodel. But do you think that this is going to endure the opposition of a culture that isn't always biblical? Will it endure the the political correctness that sometimes go against the the biblical accuracy? Will it endure when you are in the midst of a group, peer, peer pressure, and you have friends that don't follow the Bible and don't love Jesus? Will it endure when they want to do something contrary to what Jesus tells you to? A shallow faith, and I think you can see it close enough, it may not last the fire. It's good. (laughs) It's good. Then we have a conditional faith. This faith is the faith that says, I will believe God and I will even follow God and I will love God as long as things go my way. As long as the world works out the way I think it should work out, as long as my life works out the way I think it should work out, as long as he again follows my will, then I will believe. But what happens when it doesn't go your way? What happens when you don't have the answers, not completely for the wildfires, not completely for that part of your story that is just tragic? What happens when, when it's based on the conditions that you have set for God rather than the conditions that he has set for you, which is just trust? Isn't it true this one too may not survive the flame? Got enough? The next one is inherited faith. Now, first of all, let me tell you, if you had parents or, or grandparents who prayed for you and encouraged you to go to church, you need to know that was the grace of God to you. You need to know if right now they're encouraging you to baptize your kids or get back. That is the grace of God to you. But let me tell you, at the end of your life, your mom's faith will not cut it for you standing before Jesus. Your grandfather's prayers will not cut it as you have to answer, as you need faith. And so, what do you think? Will this one endure the fire? No. God wants us all to make faith our own. And some of you are in the process of it. I see young kids today. It's okay that you learn from mom and dad, right? We've got to make it our own. Say, how am I following Jesus? How am I going to go to college and follow Jesus? How am I going to raise my family with the knowledge of Jesus? It can't just be the other generation's responsibility. It has to be something that we have for ourselves. Otherwise, it may not endure the fire. So what do we need? You know what I think we need? Persistent faith. A faith that says, I know things didn't go well this week. I know I'm in a trial. I know life is difficult. But there is no way I am not going to follow Jesus. There is no way I'm not going to trust Jesus. There is no way I'm not going to proclaim that he is good, and he's good all the time. This persistent faith. Look at this. Woo, doggie. Not catching on fire. Yeah, no smoke and fire on me, right? I'm not going to tell you the magic of this trick either. Look at that, though. Look at that. That's a beautiful faith, right? Put fire right on me. I don't care. It doesn't even catch fire, right? This is what we need. This is what God says. I desire of you, and so I allow the fire so that after testing, you can still proclaim you are God, and you are good, and there is nothing better than following you. You truly are the hope of the world and the best thing this world has to offer. I will stand by you, though all forsake me. And this is the faith that God desires. But how many of us can claim a perfectly strong faith? Dear friends, if I would have us repent, it is over the times that he has maybe called us and pursued us through testing, but we have hated the test and failed. That we have called him not good. That we have maybe said, well, maybe you're not worth it. Maybe there is something higher. Maybe there's a different priority I can pursue because it's obviously not working out this way. Friends, this is sin. This is a lack of faith, and for this we should repent. In fact, what I love is that our salvation is not built on the strength of our faith because if it was built on the strength of our faith, we would fail. So what is salvation built upon, and what can I encourage you? Hear this gospel, that Jesus is your strength. Read these words, verse 5. Verse 5, who wants to read it with me? I'm just going to start with the who there. You can read along if you want. It says, who through faith are shielded by God's power? Who wants to be shielded by God's power? I know I sure do. That was flame retardant, I think, based on God what was doing, rather than what I was doing, based on the Spirit in me. I need some of that. I need to know that He is strong, and I'm here to proclaim to you, He is your strength. And because He was strong, we are saved. Because he was tested and tried, and yet was was found without sin. Because he was tested by the devil himself, looked him straight in the eye, and he did not fall, standing firm on the word. He went through the fire of the cross. He went through that figurative fire and a literal grave, but he came up on the other side. Also, I could proclaim to you, don't you know you have a living hope if you're in Christ Jesus? You have a living hope to know that your true home is, is untouched, is unfading, is unspoiled, and you're going there with me by God's grace. You have a living hope to know right now you stand forgiven and at peace with the Holy Father. You have a living hope knowing right now all things are working for your good because he's on your side and he will not leave you no matter the trial that you are in. Praise God. If you're new to Christianity, if you're just hearing for the first time, this message is for you that you can have a living hope through the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. How good is our God? But what do we learn about the fire? This is the takeaway. They are sent to refine our faith. Because sometimes you wouldn't have gotten stronger unless he put the fire to it. You wouldn't have learned any other way. In fact, um, let me tell you a story. I was was getting my hair cut at Great Clips because I had a coupon. That's how I do. And, uh, I met someone with unusual kindness. I was like, why, why is this person unusually kind, right? Not weird kind, just unusually kind. And I was listening to their story, and, and I, I learned that part of their story was heartbreaking. This is a young gal, and she at an early age had lost her father. You could tell it left a mark. She talked about going over to the pastor's home and what her faith meant to her. And, and I went away, and, and I had this theory, and I don't know if it's true, but there's part of me that believes the reason she is unusually kind is because of the fire of testing that she had went through. Now, I, I can't tell you with truth whether that's the case, but here is what I can tell you. I have this theory that if you find in someone incredible boldness, an incredible courage, an incredible character that you would like, I bet behind that was a fiery testing that you did not see. And the reason I know that is because that is how God has worked in my life and the life of those he loves. I've been in ministry and it's It's a privilege. In fact, if you want to be a pastor someday, it's awesome. But there are tests and there are trials. And why does he give these tests and these trials? I love what James says. James said this Consider it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. I'd love for you to go away this week in the midst of your bad day and pray, Thank you, Father, for the trial, right? That's what he says. Consider it joy because you know that the testing of your faith, can you say this word? Produces. And what perseverance is, is that when fires come, I don't burn. In fact, I cannot burn. It's not going to happen, right? Um, I might be smoky. Okay, that didn't work so well. But I'm not going to burn up, right? Okay, it's, it's not going to happen. Not for me. Because I've, I've been here before. See, this isn't the first time I've been tested and tried. God's been so loving. He's been testing me the whole way. And I'm going to say, He is the best thing there is. For me in ministry, whenever I go away, I come back saying, there's nothing I'd rather do. Then tell people he is the hope of the world to encourage others that we can use earthly moments to make eternal impacts. There's absolutely nothing I else want to do than do that. How did I get that way? He sent fire, friends. And if he's sending fire for you, you need to know he might just producing some strength that everyone else is appreciating and gleaning off today. That's what he does. One final thing. For the final reason he sends trials, I want to use another pastor named Rob Bell. He set up this beautiful analogy. Now now go with me in this analogy. Uh, He's walking with his child in the forest, and uh, he represents God the Father, and the child represents us. And then a storm comes. We have no shelter. And I want you to pay attention to what the Father representing God does and what the Father representing God says. This is also a reason for the trial. Here it is.
1: At this point, Trace is shrieking at the top of his lungs in stereo right behind my head. And I stop, and I kneel down, and I take him out of the pack, and I pull him close to my chest, and I wrap my arms around him, and I hold him so tightly up against my heart. And for the last mile, of our walk, the entire time, I bend over and I whisper into his ear over and over again, I love you, buddy. We're going to make it. Dad knows the way home. We're going to make it. I love you, buddy. And over and over and over again, Through the storm, I carry him home, clutched tightly against my chest, whispering, I love you, buddy. We're going to make it. Now imagine if, like, years later, Trace is in therapy or something, and he drags up this repressed memory of the walk. And he comes to me, and he's like, Dad, what would you let me go through that for? I got all this junk inside me. What did you? I thought you loved me. How could you have exposed me to something that horrible, that storm? I mean, why didn't you protect me? I would be crushed. Because for me, that walk was one of my deepest, most intimate memories of my life with my son. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Maybe you're bitter or you got all this anger inside because of some things you've been through, some storms in your life. And you're wondering, if he really loved me, if God really was there, he wouldn't have let me go through that. And maybe God is saying, no, man, don't you understand? I got to hold you tight. and I got to remind you over and over again. I love you, buddy. As it says in the scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy chapter one, God's reminding his people of how good he's been to them. He says, remember, I carried you like a father carries a son.
0: So what did the dad do? In the storm, he held him close. And with a tender voice, said, I love you. We're going to make it. And some of you know this Intuitively. Some of you know it from experience, that finally trials are allowed in order to draw you close. It reminds me I had family in Florida when Hurricane Irma was coming, and that thing looked like a monster. And we were praying before, and then to hear the reaction after, and I heard the reaction after, and they were spared of major devastation, and I could hear in their voices there was an intimacy they didn't have before. They were talking about God and his faithfulness and his grace even more because of that experience and coming out on the other side. I would love to tell you that this church, uh, many people come flocking when times are good. That's not the case, friends. People come because God allowed a crisis and a trial. And then he allows them to be caught by a heavenly father who says, so good to see you. I love you. You're going to make it. And so a final thought for today. One of the most incredible passages I was translating this week was verse 6. And this made me pause because this is what it literally said. It said, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And I was like, If necessary? Why, why the if? Um, if necessary, how about not necessary, right? You know, as I was translating, thinking about trials, how about if they were not necessary? That'd be great. If necessary? But then I had a change of heart. I said, let's take away the if altogether. Because what I believe is sometimes they are necessary. Your gracious Father allows trials. They are necessary to remind you this is not your home. They are necessary so that you have a strength coming out of the fire. They're necessary so that you just want to be caught by your Father, which is the best position you can finally be in. They are necessary. May God give you the faith to believe He's on your side even through the trial. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, none of us thinks the trial is easy. I would love the faith to rejoice in every trial and difficulty. Lord, get me there. But in the meantime, just hold me. Hold everyone here. We give all our trials and all our struggles to you today because you offered to bear them for us. Replace it with tenderness, Lord. Carry us in Jesus' name. Amen.